0: How many of you have ever been to a college graduation? Every year, I kind of watch with some interest to see who it is that they ask to speak. It's not uncommon, of course, that you have the President of the United States asked to come forward and speak. Sometimes even the First Lady. Often uh, other ranking government officials, well-known professors, whatever, Most of them, their speeches are basically the same. They're there to just tell everybody what particular stance they happen to be siding with this week. You might hear environmental messages. You might hear global warming messages. You might hear immigration messages. But all too few times, do you actually hear anything that I think the graduates probably could take home? I remember a few of them. One of them was, I think, Winston Churchill who gave probably one of the shortest graduation speeches ever when he got up in front of the class and said, never, 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 never give up. And then he sat down. I'd have paid to hear that one. But there was one that was not too very long ago. In fact, it was a month ago when Naval Admiral William McRaven Spoke to the 8,000 members of the 2014 graduating class at the University of Texas. He talked to them about uh, the 10 most important life lessons that he had ever learned during the course of his SEAL training that he had completed back in the 1970s. And maybe some of you actually saw part of this, and you haven't go YouTube it. It's a wonderful message for college graduates. In fact, it's for everybody. But these lessons, he said, really had nothing to do with being in the military and everything to do with preparing for life. And one of the lessons in particular really got my attention. Admiral McRaven described basic SEAL training as six months of tortuous um, runs in soft sand, midnight swims in ice-cold water, obstacle courses, unending calisthenics, days without sleep, and always being cold, wet, and miserable. He said, quote, it is six months of being constantly harassed by professionally trained warriors who seek to find the weak of mind and body and eliminate them from ever becoming a Navy SEAL. And then he told the graduating class about being a sugar cookie. Y'all know what a sugar cookie is, don't you? Well, several times a week, the instructors would gather ever, all of the students together and do an uniform inspection. Now, your hat had to be perfectly starched Your uniform had to be immaculately pressed. Your belt buckle had to be shiny and smudge free. But no matter how much effort a recruit ever put into making sure that he was presentable in a perfect uniform, the instructors would always find something wrong with something. And the student or students who failed uniform inspection had to run fully clothed into the ocean and then wet from head to toe They had to roll around on the beach until every part of their body was covered with sand. The effect is known as sugar cookie. Now you get the general idea. Then the student was required to stay in that uniform the rest of the day, cold, wet and sand every place imaginable. Many of these students could not accept the fact that no matter how hard they tried to get the uniform right, they always failed the test. And they were forced to spend the rest of their day as a sugar cookie. Those students, McRaven said, did not make it through training. He said the problem was they did not really understand the purpose of the drill. He said you were never going to have a perfect uniform. Everyone was bound to be singled out at one time or another. He said that the life lesson here is that sometimes no matter how well you prepare or how well you perform, you will still end up as a sugar cookie. It's just that way life is sometimes. And then he said these words, If you want to change the world, get over being a sugar cookie and keep moving forward. Now, stories like that kind of remind me why I didn't go into the military, other than the fact that I was 1A for a while, but then I got married 50 years ago and became 3A which meant they would take dogs and children before me, I guess. But maybe going to the military would have taught me some important lessons, maybe a little bit sooner. But there is a cold, hard fact about this world that you and I live in, and it's this. Life is tough, and often it seems downright unfair. Maybe you know the movie. This didn't come out very well, but the movie is The Princess Bride. The guy who played Columbo, as Peter Falk, is on television, and... He is reading a fairy tale to his grandson, the kid who used to be on The Wonder Years, Fred Savage. And towards the end of reading this story to him, uh, the story kind of takes a wrong turn. And the little boy objects and he says, it can't end that way. It can't end this way. It wouldn't be fair. And the grandpa says, well, who says life is fair? Where is that written? Life isn't always fair. Now, that isn't particularly my favorite part about living, but it is an unavoidable truth. Life isn't always fair. It doesn't make any difference whether you're rich or poor, young or old, whether you're male or female. It doesn't even matter if you're religious or not. Life isn't always fair all the time. Sometimes, guess what? You're the sugar cookie. Sometimes you suffer even when you don't deserve to suffer. But how do you respond? When this happens, determines when, or maybe I should say if, things ever get back to the way that they probably should be. Now, many times when people are on the receiving end of unfair treatment, they respond by becoming very cynical. Uh, Sadly, I've seen that happen even in the lives of Christ followers. They somehow pick up an idea over the years. I really don't know where they get this because I've never preached about it. I I don't know that I've ever heard any pastor or preacher about it, but they get this idea, certainly not from the Bible, that life is supposed to be good once you become a Christ follower. That life now is going to be a fairy tale, a day at the beach, a picnic in the park, that God only exists to make your life as happy and easy as possible because God doesn't allow unpleasant things to happen to his people. Never, ever, ever, never. Now, I don't know where you get that. I'll say that again. I have never, ever preached that, I know. And over the years, I've heard people using an unpleasant experience as an excuse to abandon the faith and stop believing in God, or at the very least, just to become cynical again in their attitude towards living the Christian life. And this seems to me, as I study people, kind of works on a, on a relative scale. For example, uh, I've heard people say, if God is real... Then why did this person who is close to me die? Well, I can understand how difficult it is when somebody close to you passes away and it does cause you to question things. But the truth is, this may come as a surprise to you, but people have been dying every day since the beginning of time. It's just part of life. And as far as I know, until Jesus decides to come back and take us all home, people are going to die all the time. But people who aren't prepared to face this reality will say, well, since it happened to someone I I know, and since I have to experience the pain, this must mean that God isn't real or that God doesn't really care. I've also heard people use the argument with something when something less tragic in their life happens. They say, well, if God is real, then why did I get sick? Or if God is real, then why did I have to be the one who lost my job? Or if God is real, why didn't I get that promotion? Or if God is real, then why wasn't my year-end bonus as big as that other you-know-who that doesn't work nearly as hard as you-know-who? Now, if you want to be cynical, you can always find some source of injustice in your life. I can guarantee it. Because life is full of them. Now, it's tempting to... Develop an entitlement mentality, especially Christians who sometimes find themselves, well, I'm really a pretty good life, a pretty good person. I just don't know why my life isn't much more easy and fair. Well, the answer is because life isn't fair. It's not because God isn't fair. It's because this world you and I live in isn't fair i mean we live in a fallen world we live in a sinful world and as long as your address is still on this side of heaven guess what there are going to be times when you are a sugar cookie that's the way it's going to be now in the bible if you wonder we're going to get to the text in the bible we find a group of people who go through the life is unfair and you're the sugar cookie experience And their response is the very opposite of the response that I've been talking about up to this point. Instead of becoming very cynical, instead of becoming very selfish, instead of having this I'm ready to quit and bail out attitude, Paul heaps praise on them because their faith actually grew in the face of unfair treatment. And guess what? Along with that, their love actually increased, even when the world was out to get them. And believe me, the world was out to get them physically in that day. But instead of abandoning their faith, their steadfastness became an example for believers all over the world. I want you to listen for a moment what Paul had to say about them. He said, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast that your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are facing. Now, how would you like to be a member of a church that somebody could say, man, among all of the churches in the Texas district, We boast about St. Mark's in mineral wells because of their perseverance and their faith in spite of everything that has happened to them. I think that'd be a pretty cool deal. Now, you may not wonder who this church is. Well, this is the focus of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, which most Bible scholars say is the oldest book in the New Testament. It's written about 49 A.D., so about 20 years after uh, Jesus ascends into heaven. Now, a few months after he writes First Thessalonians, Paul writes Second Thessalonians, which is believed to be the, well, second oldest book in the New Testament, probably written in about the year 50. It's one of those short, often overlooked little books, but it has a powerful message. So if you've got your Bibles yet, you might want to turn to Second Thessalonians because we're going to spend time in this book for the next three weeks. We're going to do a little three-week series that I'm going to call Bulletproof. Uh, it's about developing a faith that's unstoppable, uh, a faith that's solid as steel or Kevlar or whatever strong, a faith that cannot be conquered, a faith that no matter what life brings you, it can stand up to it. Now, in today's message, I'm going to talk about how to respond when you're the sugar cookie. When you feel like life has actually not only knocked you down, but kicked you repeatedly after you've been down, Uh, When life seems to have singled you out for some reason or another, or given you worse than what you think you deserve, I mean, maybe it has to do with your health, Uh, maybe it has to do with your finances, or maybe it has to do with your work or your home life, or maybe it has something to do with, you know, all of the above. But if you have found yourself recently asking a question like, why do I have to go through what I'm going through right now? then I would say today's message is probably for you. Now, I can't give you an answer to why it happens other than (laughs) it just happens. That's how life is. But I can tell you how to respond. Now, the ideas I want to share this morning... Are from Paul in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians If you're facing trials and tribulations And you feel like you're getting the sugar cookie treatment I believe that what Paul would challenge you to do Can be wrapped up in one single little sentence And the sentence is this Look past today at what's coming your way Now you ought to be able to memorize that Because that's actually a poem You know I don't even realize this sometimes when I write it But it comes out that way Look past today at what's coming your way. Now, up to now, in this message, I have been kind of beating and repeating the point that life is sometimes unfair. But this statement comes with what I would call a footnote. And the footnote is this. Yes, sometimes life is unfair. But only for a little while. If your life is in Jesus. We live in a fallen world. We are subject to all of its fallenness. But we also serve a God who stands for justice. Uh, we serve a God who is at work in history to redeem the world. We serve a God who is out there to bring glory to his name. So I'm encouraging you to look past today at what's coming your way. Now, what does that mean? That's a good Lutheran question to ask. I mean, Luther told us that. What does this mean? Well, what does the Bible say is coming your way and my way Well, I'm going to suggest three things this morning. And the first of these is this. When life is unfair, keep in mind that you will come through this better than you were before. Now, if you look at verse 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, after Paul has given his greetings. In verse 3, he talks about how we ought to always thank God for you because your faith is growing more and more. But now in verse 5, he says, all this is evidence all this is evidence now all this refers to the fact that the Thessalonians are persevering through some hard times with growing faith and increasing love all this all of this stuff you've been going through the sugar cookie stuff all of this stuff is evidence that God's judgment is right now the word judgment by the way does not mean punishment You could say that the word means God's authoritative opinion about you or his conclusion about your character. It would be all this evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. That's another way to put it. Now, he goes on. We skip a little further to verse 11. He says, with this in mind. Now, you should ask yourself, with what in mind? Well, with, with the fact that you have been suffering and dealing with it, And God is is going to be helping you through it. But with this in mind, he says, We constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. And then he goes on in verse 12 to say, We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Now, did you get that last part? I think it's really important. You go through this. Why? Why? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, in you and him. We go through this sometimes because it brings God's glory. Never for our benefit, but for God's glory. See, not only will you be made worthy, this is what Paul is saying, not only will you glorify Jesus, but you will be glorified in him. An interesting thought. The situation you're facing today is not going to be forever. It's just for now. You're going to get through it. You'll come out on the other side. Chances are you'll come out even better than ever before. Now, there's an old cliche you've probably heard before, that a trial or a tribulation will either make you a bitter person or a better person. It just kind of depends on how you look at life. Now, I know a lot of people who call themselves Christ followers. Man, I tell you, they look like they were, they were Baptists dunked in a tank of vinegar. Uh, there's no joy in those folks. Uh, for some reason or another, they have just become bitter people because of the circumstances in their life, rather than using those to become better people. It really depends on how you look at life. If you consider every event in your life as uh, random or luck of the draw, then it's easy to give way to cynicism. I mean, why am I so unlucky? Why don't I ever get the breaks? But on the other hand, if you believe that God can actually make sense of every last little thing that happens, that he can use everything that happens in such a way so that it serves his purpose and brings him glory and brings you glory in him, then life's most unfair moments can help you become not a bitter person, but a better person. Now, do I ever go through hard times? Well, you know, I've been married 50 years. And <laughs> come September, I will have been alive 70 years. I have two kids, need I say more? I have a grandson who just got married. Okay. Have there been hard times in those 50 years? Have there been hard times in those 70 years? Have there been hard times in my life? Yeah. I don't always know why some stuff happens in my life. But what I do know is that eventually it's going to get better. Now, I don't always know why it happens or what good will come of it. But, but there are a couple of things I, I actually do know. I do know that those who love God... All things work together for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. Now, don't make a mistake of taking this Bible passage and only taking half of it. I mean, I've had people come to me in my office and say, "Pastor, you know that Romans eight twenty-eight passage? We know that the, all things work together for the good of those who love God." Well, guess what? I love God, and my life stinks. Well, it should, because <laughs> you haven't read the second part of that Bible passage. It says, "All things work together for the good of those." For those who are called according to His purposes, not your purpose. It is going to bring glory to Him. It is going to bring glory to you in Him. A little bit different. That's why the Thessalonian Christians didn't become cynical when they faced trouble. Their faith continued to grow. I mean, the world is against us. Hey, let's believe God for a miracle. Uh, that can be your attitude too. You can look. You can look past today at what's coming your way, because you know that you will come through this better than you were before. Here's the second thing. If there's a score to be settled, God will settle it. Sometimes, you know, you look back at an unfair situation. Uh, I'm guilty of that, too. And you think of how someone went out of their way to take advantage of you. Uh, And it's kind of easy to give in to bitterness or harsh feelings. It's also easy to become consumed with the idea of getting even. You know, if he talks bad about me, I'm going to talk bad about him. If he dishes the dirt, I will dish the dirt right back. If he punches me once, I will punch him twice. And it just kind of goes on and on and on. Now, this happens about every year we go through the election cycle. You got one political group. Attacking the other group, which is followed by what? A counterattack, followed by a counter counterattack, followed by a counter counter counterattack, followed by you know how it just goes on and on and on. In fact, we don't see it only in campaigns, we see it in the day-to-day political life of our elected leaders. I mean, it just goes on and on in some circles. Political life is no longer about serving people. It's about fighting enemies. Now, that's part of it. Let me tell you what I think is even worse. It happens in the church. There are some ministries who operate with the mentality that we must always be fighting our enemies. And if somebody lashes out at us, we need to lash right back. Now, what I find disappointing in recent years is that there have been a few, you know, mega church pastors who have taken to social media... To get back at their critics. Some of them even making some videos to mock their critics and name call the, their critics. But here's the problem. Here's something I've learned. And that's that the more you focus on your critics, the less you focus on your calling. And that has to do whether you're an elected government official or whether you're a pastor or whether you're just a Christ follower. The more you focus on people who criticize you, the less time you focus on the calling God has given you in your life. Now, Paul's approach to this in verse 6 is complete opposite. It says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. I like that. God's going to trouble your troublers. See, Paul is talking about, honestly, there's real persecution here. He's talking about life and death persecution, not that petty little wimpy stuff that we try to pass off as being persecuted every once in a while. He reminds the Thessalonians that there's going to come a time, and God is going to settle the score Now that's the attitude that you and I ought to have Whether the opposition is major or minor God's going to settle the store, score uh, That's why I, I try to remember Anytime I've ever been treated unfairly uh, I remember that previous verse But I also remember this one Vengeance is mine I will repay, says the Lord Now let me interpret this for you I'm going to put this in the This is the ESV I'm going to give it to you in the KGV Kolb's General Version it goes this way. Vengeance is mine, not yours. <laughs> That's God speaking. Yeah, vengeance is his. It's not yours, it's not mine. So whenever I feel like I've been treated unfairly, I gotta to try to remind myself of a couple of things. One of them is I could possibly be overreacting here. I could be making a big deal out of next to nothing. You know, the mountain out of a molehill. Therefore, I'm much better off uh, to respond to critics and enemies with mercy and grace. Or two, if the situation is really that serious, really that egregious, God is going to settle the score himself. He will do what needs to be done. I will not need to do anything. I hope you understand what that means. It means that uh, It means that every time you're tempted to feel angry, or resentful, or bitter, or vindictive, you can just let it go. Release it into God's hand, knowing that God will somehow deal with it accordingly. You heard me say last week, you know, one of the things I try not to do is be critical of other ministries. The reason being is if the other ministry is not of God, God will take care of it. But if that ministry is of God, I'm not messing with it. It's that simple. But now, you might actually say, well, come on, Pastor, but I want to deal with it. I want to straighten that person out. I want to get back. I want to sell this my way. You can do it your namby-pamby Bible way. I got two fists. Well, okay. But I'm going to tell you, it's not your job. It's not your job. And I'd refer you back to number one again before. You might actually be overreacting. A whole lot, probably. Either way, you can be sure of this. As long as you are, you are focused on settling the score yourself, God isn't. Why not let him? I want to take you back to what he says in verse 7 here. And it's kind of an interesting verse, particularly when you all read it in your Greek Testament this week. You all do, don't you? No, oh, okay. Well, I'll help you out a little bit. Verse 7, he says, God will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And then he says, and he will give relief to you who are troubled. That, that's where your focus needs to be. By the way, here's, the, here's a little teaching for you. The word relief in Greek is anason. You ever heard that word before? Anison. How appropriate. And when you trust God to settle a score that needs to be settled in his way, according to his wisdom, it's a huge relief, like the world's worst headache has suddenly been taken away. You can look past the day, look at what's coming your way, because you know that God will balance the scales. He'll settle a score that needs to be settled. God promises to give you anison for your troubles. Relief. Here's the third thing. God will also give you the chance to put your best ideas to work. Now, Paul goes on, he uses a little phrase here that's coming up that I really love. He's telling uh, the believers in Thessalonica how he, he's praying for them, and in his prayer, he asks this in verse 11. He says that by his, and that's God's, that by God's power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours in every act prompted by your faith. Now, he's saying that every good idea... Every good effort, God will bless. When I first started out going to seminary, I was doing field work at St. John's in Elgin, Illinois. I was working with a young pastor, Pastor Tim Krieger, who was probably at least 10 years younger than me because the senior pastor had left. And I was a little bit worried because they wanted to introduce chanting into their worship service, chanting from the old Blue hymnal, remember the LW before we had the LSB purple book or whatever color it is. And so I went and practiced it. And then I, that morning he said, how are you doing? I said, well, I practiced it. I don't know how good this is going to be. And, and Tim just looked at me and says, nothing has ever failed for lack of effort. Simple little statement. What he's saying is if you, if you put forth godly effort into something, God is going to bless it no matter what. Now, I don't know if he meant that if I sang really off key, people would go, well, that's okay. At least he's doing it. I don't know, still blessing it. Or whether he would say, no, it'll be fine. Well, it turned out it was pretty fine. Uh, you know, God's going to bless it. Every God given goal, every spirit-inspired plan, God wants to empower you to accomplish it. So let me ask you, do you think persecution can stop God from blessing you? Well, no. Do you think Being in an unfair situation means that your goal or your plans or your dreams or God's calling on your life are now for naught. No, no way. If someone or something has kind of uh, tied your shoestrings together and caused you to trip and fall, it has not changed God's plans. It has not changed God's promises. He will empower you to fulfill every good purpose and every act of faith. See, so no matter what you are facing today, you can look past today and see what's coming your way. That's what the believers here in Second Thessalonians were able to do. That's why this church was Paul's pride and joy. Now, St. Mark's is, let's uh, so have to count them off here, Emmanuel in Belvedere, Trinity in Bloomington, Lord of Life in La Fox, First Lutheran in Texarkana, Texas, and now, technically, I'm not your pastor, merely an interloper, not interloper, what's the word? Interim, interim pastor of five churches. I, I think I can honestly say that I have been proud of every church I've served when they are in the midst of doing and seeking God's will. They're wonderful places to be. People are happy when they're doing God's will and not focusing on who knows what. They were Paul's pride and joy. I could say at churches i pastored, yeah, they're my pride and joy. Uh, but I'm hoping even more that God would look at a church and say, yeah, I like those folks. I like those folks. They're seeking after my will. They're they, 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 they are after me. I mean, that's why their faith continues to grow, even in the midst of some difficult times. I mean, I've pastored a couple of churches that were going through difficult times when I arrived. You know, but God says, I don't like churches going through difficult times. We can we've got a calling for that church. He just calls us to do what? To continue to worship Him, love Him, serve Him, study His Word, pray, seek His will, and get out there and do it. See, their eyes were not just on what was happening to them right now at this particular time. Their eyes were on what's ahead of them. My sermon my sermon network, I record sermons and put it on, has been gradually catching up with me because I have almost... Six or seven years of sermons that they keep, you know, download. So every once in a while, I pop he's got 45 new sermons in there. I was looking at one the other day, and I listened to the last sermon I preached at uh, First Lutheran in Texarkana, not quite a year ago. And at the end, I, I said, I don't know what's going to happen when I leave. But I know that God has more in store for you. Why? Because God always has more in store for you. God doesn't run out of store. I mean, God doesn't say, well, that church ran out of my blessings and my ability to bless it. There's always something down the road. Now, they were not going to let a little mistreatment fill their hearts with bitterness. They knew God was in control, looked past the day. It's also why this church refused to turn tail and run Because they knew that God's calendar went way beyond their calendar uh, They had the courage to stay faithful to Jesus to the very end Because he, they knew he promised to be with them to the very end So let me ask you, what about you? As you face the sugar-cooking moments of life And if you haven't for a while, you probably will How will you respond? I mean, will you become cynical And short sighted, or will you say, Wow, Lord, this is my chance to practice a faith big enough to move a mountain? When you're treated maliciously, somebody bad mouths you, stabs you in the back, whatever, will you become bitter and vindictive? Or will you say, God, I'd love to settle the score, but I'm going to trust you to settle the score. I'm going to continue to love those people. That you bring my way and I'm going to show the same mercy to these people As you've shown to me You know, those are kind of um, characteristics of what I would call a bulletproof faith You look past today at what's coming your way But life isn't always about looking past today It's also about living today You can't spend the rest of your life thinking about what used to be And you can't spend the rest of your life what you hope will be, you still got to live today. Now, we talked, my wife and I talked a little bit this morning, the last couple of days, what we remember about the last 50 years. Like where we were 10 years ago, or where we celebrated our 25th. Now, that's a good thing, to think about the past. Because the really kind of interesting thing I found in my life, at least, I think it's true to a lot of people, is that the longer you're removed from some things, the more better memories you have of the situation. That God just kind of allows you to forget. Now, I was someplace a couple weeks ago where somebody introduced Nancy and I and said, uh, we are soon to be married 50 years. And then he added this comment. And Barry said, those are 35 of the happiest years of his life. Well, that's not true. That was just a joke. You look back and bumps, sure. Joy's, Plenty of them. You do that as a church too. Bumps, sure. Every church has them. Joys, plenty of them. Plenty of things to build on. You can't spend your rest of your life thinking about the past. Can't spend it looking at the future. But you got to face up to the sugar cookies of today. How do you do that? Let me just end by a few things. One of them is just live today as it is, as if it has already come your way. Live today as if. All we've talked about has already happened. Live today as if God has already made everything work together for good already right now. Live today as if God has already settled the score that needs to be settled and that you're free now to reach out to others in love and mercy and compassion. Let your love increase. Live today as if he has empowered you to do all that he has called you to do. Never give up. Live today as if your victory... Has already been won I'm going to let you in on a little secret I've read the Bible to the end We win And because we know we win We can live today as victors Enjoy reading Second Thessalonians in these next couple weeks Go back and read chapter 1 this week And see where you fit into this little story Maybe even as you read through it this week, think through how this church fits into this story. And think again about that little statement we shared at the beginning, that while life is tough and sometimes life is unfair, we can still look past today at what's coming our way. May God grant that for the sake of Jesus and to the glory of his name. Amen. Let's stand for our closing blessing.